0: Hello and welcome to Chairside, conversations about careers in dentistry. This podcast series from the British Dental Association and sponsored by BDJ Jobs explores the unlimited, unexpected and maybe even unknown opportunities that qualifying as a dentist opens up to you. I'm Andrea Ogden, a General Dental Practitioner and the BDA's Undergraduate and Career Development Lead. In each episode, I'll be joined by dental professionals who discuss their journey and the paths they took that changed the course of their career. Today, we're talking about specialty training. It's possible to enter specialty training at any stage of your career. It allows you entry onto the GDC's specialist register and to focus clinically on specific areas. But is there a better time to do it? How difficult is it to apply and how competitive is it? So that's what we're talking about today, as I'm chairside with Khadija Saeed and Pyle Sharma-Birch. Both are specialty trainees and an absolute font of knowledge on the subject. Khadija qualified in 2015 from Manchester, and after her foundation training and two dental core training posts, she started specialty training in special care. Pile graduated in 2008 from Barts and the London, And after four years as an associate dentist, she bought her own practice and then in 2017 began specialty training in orthodontics in Bristol. Khadija and Pyle, welcome to you both. Khadija, I'll start with you. I'm fascinated because you went straight into specialty training after two incredibly varied DCT posts. So in a sense, you took the route that I'm sure many students or young dentists would aspire to because it seems to be the most direct pathway into specialty training. Was it always your plan to do it that way and how hard was it to achieve?
1: Um, So hi, yeah, hi, good evening um, Andrea, thank you for inviting me for this today. Um, So with um, special care, so I've always sort of known about special care but I think like with many dental students you have, you hear about these different specialities but until you actually work in the speciality, you don't actually appreciate the sort of kind of work you do. So I was quite fortunate that in DCT1, and DCT2, um, as you've mentioned, I got to work in all the different specialities. So it wasn't actually until I worked in special care that I just thought, yeah, this is, this is it. This is the one for me. Um, so I worked in all the specialities. I love dentistry in terms of I love all the different types of treatments. Um, but then when I actually had my clinics in special care, that was where I found I just became more sort of passionate about what I was doing. I was really interested in it. I was asking lots of questions and asking about, you know, my colleagues, and my consultants more about it. So the plan very much started as soon as I got exposed to a speciality. So once you had that experience where you were exposed to special care dentistry and you thought, yeah, this is right, this is for me... What did you do then to take it to the next level? Once I thought, okay, this is what I can see myself doing for, you know, for the foreseeable future until we retire, um, I then had to speak to my colleagues to get more information about it um, spoke to my consultant who I was close to in special care, who I really looked up to and admired and got more information about how you get onto the specialist route and for example, you know the training process, how long it is, what kind of um, um, patients you treat, and things like that was it very hard it was It was hard as everyone i 'm sure knows specialised training is competitive, um, but I was very fortunate that because um, I had colleagues around me and consultants around me who were very supportive and could see I was very passionate. I was able to um, get advice and get involved with lots of projects to help my portfolio and and yeah I worked quite hard and um, got the post I wanted so that's yeah it worked out in the end really nicely yeah that's that 's absolutely fantastic, um, particularly
0: that you know every you obviously had to work incredibly hard to to be successful in what we know is a very competitive environment um, But that's really interesting. You've obviously taken this very direct route, whereas um, Pyle, you've taken quite a, a different route, but you've still got where you wanted to go in regards to specialty training. You were actually running your own practice as well as being a dental foundation training educational supervisor when you decided to apply for orthodontic training. So why did you decide to apply when essentially you would have what I think some people would have described as a complete career you had the practice you're an educational um, supervisor so how hard was it to make that shift?
2: Hi Andrea lovely to be here Um, yes I suppose it was somewhat controversial at the time I guess I didn't feel completely clinically fulfilled Um, I thought that I loved the teaching and I, I really enjoyed the challenges of being you know being your own boss but essentially clinically I didn't feel completely fulfilled I really did a bit of soul searching. I thought, what do I actually really like doing? I thought my favorite parts of the day were actually working with children and treating children. I also really started enjoying, I went on a few courses, there were orthodontic courses. Um, I started one or two cases and very, very quickly, swiftly realized that I did not, in any way, shape, or form, have the knowledge base to actually be providing this treatment. Um, I had to really question who was prescribing the treatment. Was it me or was it this company? Was it a technician? So I decided that, you know, I like to be at the top of my game and I thought I wanted to become a clinical expert at this. Um, So I had no choice really.
0: The choice was made, I had to go into specialty training. So how did you go about kind of finding out how you were gonna go into specialty training? It was quite tricky because when one
2: works in their own practice, you're very much an island. um, So I had to find, um, it was very difficult to find information on how to actually go about applying. I spoke to people I knew who worked in some of the universities as tutors. I went onto the Copdend website, which has information on national specialty training and the dates for application and the application form information. I think the most useful thing I did for orthodontics was to attend the British Orthodontic Society Day. It's entitled, So You Want to Be an Orthodontist? (laughs) And um, they run it every sort of November, every year. And I actually went to it in 2010 when I was maxvax trainee um, and decided, no, this wasn't for me. Went Went back onto that course in 2015, and I thought, yeah, I'm ready, let's go. I applied in 2016 but failed to rank high enough to actually be offered a position. I ranked, I think, number 75th. Um, I don't know how many people applied, but there certainly weren't 75 posts in orthodontics nationally. So I failed to rank.
0: So once you, I mean, I think that might surprise quite a few people for someone who obviously had a tremendous amount of clinical experience. What did you do? um, Because clearly you were successful the year later. What did you do to address that? and then before you applied again? Well, no one was more surprised than me. Um, but I think because I was
2: out of the loop in a way, because I wasn't in, you know, uh, consecutive hospital positions, I asked for feedback for my interview and I realised actually the big the, a big part of the interview is weighted towards your portfolio. And Khadija mentioned portfolio and building one's portfolio. In my world, building my portfolio was... Becoming an FD trainer, doing lots of clinical bits and bobs, becoming a CQC registered manager. But in order to get into specialty training, um, what you actually need is what a portfolio of career means is actually posters, presentations. If you do do audits, I was running about eight rolling audits at the practice, but that doesn't really count if you haven't presented that audit at a regional meeting um, or an international national conference. So it became very clear to me that that was the issue. I was lacking research promise, any evidence of academia, any evidence of academic
0: publication. Um, and so I had to address that. How did you go about addressing it? Were there, because clearly if you, if you haven't got the facilities and you can't present the audits that you're doing in practice, what other kind of re- resources or, or did you seek any other help to, to do right. that? sorry to interrupt my greatest um,
2: my greatest aid was actually my network um, I was very heavily involved at university I was student president I was involved in lots of societies and organizations um, I contacted lots of people I knew who who had recently completed orthodontic training I contacted um, my old tutors at the London who have always been fantastically supportive to be honest um, and I go back to the annual um, London Hospital Dental Club alumni meeting. It happens every year. Absolutely brilliant to catch up with the faculty. I contacted them and explained the predicament. And they said to me, Pyle, look, you know, we're well, you're, you're very welcome to come back and work with us on some research. Um, and I was very swiftly made an honorary research assistant at the London. It, meant it was an unpaid position um, and it meant coming in every Friday unpaid but gave me that incredible resource to work alongside um, Prof. Liversidge, who's now Professor Liversidge, um, on a project which then ended up being presented um, at the European Orthodontic Conference in Montreux. Um, And obviously that gave me the foundation (laughs) and strengthened my
0: portfolio for when I applied again. That's fantastic. Um, Obviously it meant putting you out of your comfort zone and doing all this work for free on top of running the practice and and everything else that you had on. And I think a lot of particularly dental foundation trainings, uh, trainees and and, um, dental core trainees will often look at what kind of stuff do they need to have in their portfolio. And Khadija is someone who also has a very impressive um, portfolio. What would your advice be on how much additional work or projects should you include when you're applying for specialty
1: training? I remember when I went through the process myself and I remember I was very heavily involved with lots of, you know, research and audits and quality improvement projects and presenting and you know, you do all that. But I think when you actually go through the process yourself, you never think enough is enough. You always think, Oh, I should do more and and speaking to colleagues who are also applying to specials training, you know, it's it's difficult not to compare yourself. But one thing that resonated with me when I went through my process is one of my consultants um, in oral surgery said to me, it's quality, not quantity. And that really stuck with me because, you know, she's, she's interviewed many people for, you know, junior posts for specialty posts. And she said, one thing that comes across is that, number one, everyone's going to have And a a fantastic portfolio you know otherwise you wouldn't make it to the interview stage but the thing that comes across in an interview is the passion and your drive and so if you've done you know a couple of audits or one research paper but those projects are really fantastic and you know you can talk about them with passion and enthusiasm and you made some sort of change or it's something that you yourself you know initiated and gave birth to that comes across far more powerful than having, you know, 10, 20, 30 lists of titles. And she said and that really sticks with the interviewers and that sticks with people who want to train with you.
0: I think that's fantastic advice. And I think that's certainly something that a lot of people are concerned about. Now, something that you both have in common is that you've got an academic element to your specialist training and this might come as a surprise to some of our listeners um, because I mean I for one didn't know that um, certainly until relatively recently about the options that there are for academic research alongside specialty training. Now Khadija in addition to your specialty role you are an academic clinical fellow how did that come
1: about and what does it involve? So being an ACF um, means that I am I'm a registrar, so I'm a specialty registrar training. So my training is three years um, until I exit my training pathway. But in that training pathway, um, an ACF is quite a privileged position to have because you've got protected time in my training where I can pursue my research and um, apply to do a PhD. So it's quite a, I'm quite, I'm fortunate, I'm very, very privileged to have this post so I can do, you know, my clinical training, which I love, but also delve into my passion, do research academia and get into teaching and more research. So um, I, when I was actually a dental student, I never knew that dentists could do this. I, I've got doctors in the family. And I know that a lot of doctors do fellowship. It's very normal that you do a fellowship and do, you know, a doctorate or a, PhD or something along that training but I actually didn't know that dentists had this opportunity until I entered DCT and when I knew I wanted to do special care I wanted to be a special care um, registrar and it wasn't until one of my friends actually and one of the consultants who mentioned you know that they knew that I was very interested in research I'm very interested in asking the questions that haven't been asked yet and trying to do something a bit different. So they knew I had this research passion inside me and they actually mentioned to me that, you know, you can apply for a clinical fellowship and uh, once you've got a training member. So I looked into that and um, for an academic clinical fellow, you still go through the same process of national recruitment. Um, when you get your national training number, then you have the option to then apply to do a clinical fellowship, so an ACF, so it's another interview, <laughs> but um, that interview then is, you know, saying, right, yeah, I want to do clinical training, but I'm also, I've got this passion to do, um, you know, a PhD, and I talked about my title and the topics I'm interested in, and I was very, very fortunate to get the post in London, so, um, yeah, things worked out really nicely.
0: <laughs> Fantastic.
1: And Paul, your training also involves
0: a doctorate of dental surgery or DDS. Is that an optional component or is that something that anyone doing specialty training can do?
2: I would say that for orthodontics, I can speak for Bristol. It's not optional Um, and it's an intense workload, um, I must admit, on top of the clinical training in three years. Um, as well as the exit exams, of course, I understand that some orthodontic specialty training includes a master's rather than a DDS. And I understand there may even be one or two in the country which don't include the master's, but the vast majority do include a research component at the moment.
0: So if you're looking for special places to do your specialty training, would you say that that's worth finding out in advance as to what other academic requirements alongside the course?
2: Well, absolutely. The thing is, it depends on how you how you approach it. I approached it in, I know there's highly coveted posts. There aren't very many of them, considering the population of the country. You know, 20 to 30 posts a year are not very many posts. And I was pretty much with the opinion, you get one wherever you get one, you go there and do it. Um, however, I think it's quite sensible if you are considering having a family that perhaps look at particular units and see what the academic component is. And I would say even more important to that would be look at those units and see if they have a year, what their entry system is. Is it every three years or is it an entry every year? Because if it's an entry every year, if for example, you have a statutory maternity period, you can then come back and slide into the year below. Very neat, very very sort of well done, I think. But if you're on a three-year program, it's quite complicated to then come back into the workforce if all the other trainees in your cohort are now sort of six months ahead of you academically and there is no year group below to slide into. So I would really recommend that young women who are thinking about having a family while doing this really, really hone into those two things. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think that's something that both of you, again, have in common. You've both taken maternity leave whilst you've been doing specialty training. And certainly when I talk to foundation dentists, I know that that can be a concern for many of them that actually they, they think that that might be the time when they might like to start a family, but they're concerned about how that might work, um, how difficult it would be. and um, But clearly you've both managed it. So what are the added challenges to starting a family alongside doing your training, and how did you manage that?
1: I remember the day I had I told my my consultant, and I remember being so nervous. And I look back now and I laugh because you know I have I'm very fortunate. I've got really very um, supportive colleagues and my consultants and my ES are all fantastic. But I remember the day I, you know, I, I had to tell that I was pregnant and I was just shaking all morning and I just thought, didn't know what, what was wrong with me. And I just thought, what is wrong with me? I'm just going to tell someone that I'm having a baby. You know, it's, it's normal. This is what happens. <laughs> you know, it's fine. And the reason I was so nervous is because I it wasn't about telling her. It was actually, I genuinely was thinking, how am I gonna do this? How am I gonna do my training and have a baby and be away for 10, 11 12 months? And I think it was all coming out in that moment because I thought, gosh, I'm gonna say it to her and then it's that's it's it's, it's gonna begin, you know, that's the spark that started. I think it's important that you you need to just be honest and if you are worried, speak to your colleagues, speak to your friends, speak to people who've gone through it and say, you know, how how do you manage this? And it will be fine. You will manage it because there's always something that you can just delay or you know put further on down the line on the Gantt chart or just delete. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I did speak to my colleagues. I spoke to my consultants. I spoke um, about how am going to do it in terms of mainly the um, the clinical aspect. wasn't actually too bad in terms of they just rejig things like you know like any corporation any um business in you know, a hospital they can work things around and they have to do some maternity you know that's that's why we have um people employed to sort out things like um absences and um clinic cover etc the academic um aspect which is a little bit more complicated but again i was quite um i was quite proactive in terms of i emailed everyone straight away and everyone was really supportive and it was i think i'd made it far too big in my head I felt quite you know nerve-wracking and people were really supportive and said that's fine you just have to be honest with yourself and you know understand that this is going to be a huge change and it will be tough but with the support of your friends and your colleagues things will you know you can work things out
0: I think having a child full stop is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done so to be able to have that and for you both to be doing specialty training on top of it I mean I'm I'm just in awe. I think it's a tremendous achievement. If, Pyle, if you were to give advice to anybody who is going into a specialty program thinking that they might end up having a child at some point, what would be the advice that you would give to them?
2: I would say it is possible. It is possible to do specialty training and have a baby and return to specialty training. I would say there are some challenges, um, and for those, you need a plan. Um, There are some geographical realities, um, such as where your child is in childcare and where you work. There are some financial realities, such as if you return as a less than full-time trainee, you are, of course, on less than full-time salary. And that salary will need to stretch to paying for your tuition fees, as well as your childcare, and as well as your living costs. So I would say, yeah, you know, these things are possible, but only possible with a plan. Um, and I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be romantic about it. There are practicalities that are very significant um, and need
0: addressing. Yeah, I think that's that's a really important point for anybody who's considering having a family. Um, you know, what what those realities would be, if, given their particular circumstances. But despite the challenges that you've both faced, the fact that you have persevered, I'm going to say that the rewards have got to outweigh the efforts. Um, So would you, I'm I'm assuming that I know the answer to this one, but was it worth it? What would you say has been the best thing about specialist training,
1: Khadija? So for me, um, so in special care, for those who don't know much about special care or maybe know a little bit only, Special care, we treat patients with um, different disabilities which impact their ability to see a dentist on the high street. So that could be medical, um, social, cognitive, physical. We see patients you know, with Parkinson's disease, Down syndrome, severe learning disabilities who need sedation or have to have general anesthesia. We have patients who are, you know, diagnosed with cancer who need to have cancer treatments, um, and therefore need to have dental treatment before they start chemotherapy or you know start radiotherapy. Um, we see patients from you know all kind of walks of life in terms of there's so many barriers that they could come across affecting their ability to get dentists and see and get treatment. So it's always interesting. My job is always interesting in the sense that there's no day that's the same, and I think. That's fantastic. For my personality, it's great because I love being challenged. I love learning something new every day. I love that feeling of I've done something to help someone and that reward you get from patient satisfaction.
0: Yeah, that, that's really inspiring. Pyle, was it worth it for you? I mean, what's been the best thing about your specialty training?
2: I'm in this for the long game. So I saw this as a loss leader. It is tough, but it is rewarding. And part of it that is rewarding is that I have found clinical fulfillment. I love going to work every day. I enjoy working in multidisciplinary teams. I really enjoy all the weird and wonderful things that get referred into secondary care. I get to work with my favorite patient group, children. um, And I get to see the transformative effect our work can have on their confidence and their mental health. Um, And I'm very grateful that I can be part of that
0: journey. That's fantastic. I think that's so important. I mean, the fact that, you know, both of you and Pyle, you're doing treatment that is transformative for people. And, you know, and Khadija, you're transforming the way that people can access treatment and continue to access treatment. And I think that the fact that you're making such a difference to people um, clearly gives you a tremendous amount of satisfaction so khadija my final question would be what advice would you have to anyone that's thinking about
1: doing specialty training so my advice would be is absolutely make sure the specialty you've chosen is ticking all the right boxes in terms of It's something you can see yourself doing for the rest of your life and you're passionate about. So I mentioned before that I've, you know, I worked in all the specialties during my DCT years. When I entered special care, it just clicked and it was something I was so passionate about. I absolutely loved every day in clinic and could see myself doing it for for the rest of my life. so make sure you choose that speciality for that reason you know there's lots of reasons people choose speciality training and you know i've heard people say whether it's money whether it's you know that's something that they've been told that looks you know, it's quite nice to do or but end of the day if you're not passionate about something and you're not getting a fulfillment every day from your work you're gonna really struggle, especially in speciality training, because it is really tough. You're not going. You're not just going to work and treating patients as a dentist. You're, you're training. You've got lots to do for your logbook. You're doing lots of extra work on your days off. So you need to have constant, constant passion, constant reason to say, "Yeah, no, this is good. I like this. I want to go back in tomorrow." Otherwise, I fear, and I've I actually seen this, um, where people do end up starting to have signs of burnout because it is a lot of work. So in summary, choose specialty which you absolutely are passionate about in terms of the work, in terms of the patience, in terms of going into work and what you're doing, and you'll be successful and hopefully very happy. I think that's that's really good advice.
0: Pyle, what would your advice be? I would I would say if
2: anyone's considering specialty training, to visualize the version of themselves in five years, in five years time. Um, And that's in terms of what are they doing within dentistry? Are they still in dentistry? And if they are in dentistry, how many days a week are they working? Are they working in a specialist, specialist practice? Are they working in secondary care? Are they working on academic papers? Are they traveling internationally? I would really just visualize that. And I think specialty training opens up lots of doors. And I'm a big one for buses of opportunity and opening doors. So I would say my advice generally would be that be prepared to live and breathe the speciality and be prepared for the sacrifice and intensity of work and input that's required. But also be very aware that this process is actually you being very empowered and you are opening so many doors. I mean, many doors already open to you as a dental graduate, but you're opening so many more, um, and I said if you, if you go into that with that outlook, I think you can only see opportunity around you. And as Khadija said, be very wary of burnout um, and the signs of burnout, and be very aware when you start what are the professional support services available, because it's not a faint it's not for the faint-hearted. It's a it's a big undertaking, um, and you but you are there are some. Fantastic rewards, a fulfilling career, um, lots of different avenues within that career, whether it be in teaching, secondary care, primary care. But generally, visualising your best version of your future self, I think, sometimes really helps me to sort of focus on why I'm doing things and to sort of keep me going and keep me motivated because it can be a bit of a slog. And that's especially, you know, that's especially the case, I would say, um, when growing when you when you grow one's family,
0: yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I think that is a really fantastic and very sensible advice. W- one of the key things that talking to you both has highlighted is that you don't need to decide what specialty training you do the moment you qualify, and in fact, you know, you might decide that you don't want to go into specialty training at all, and because I think. A lot of us can feel pressure, particularly when we graduate, to have it all worked out. I mean, I know that I did. I mean, as Khadija has shown, it's those early years that give you that vast amount of exposure and to different types of specialties and experiences. Or with your self pile, it can be events further on down the line that inspire you to make that decision. I think from my own personal experience, I think it takes time. To work out what we truly enjoy and which of our talents need to be nurtured. And I completely agree, as you've both said, that there is a tremendous amount of opportunity within dentistry and a tremendous amount of opportunity within specialty training to take it wherever you want to take it. It clearly is an enormous undertaking, but as you've both shown and wherever you are in your career, whatever your circumstances are, if you really want it, it is totally possible. So that brings me to the end of this episode. Thank you to my guests Khadija Saeed and Pyle Sharma Birch. I wish you both the very best of luck with the remainder of your specialty training and your careers. Thank you for having us, Andrea. Thank you, Andrea. It's been a pleasure. This is Chairside Conversations on Careers in Dentistry, a podcast for the British Dental Association. If you like this episode, please check out the others in this series. And to find your perfect job in dentistry, head over to bdjjobs.com.